Christ and all to the Fearless in Devotion podcast, sponsored, of course, by the Fat Bull Barn Restaurant. Uh, Tim, tell us something about the Fat Bull. That's interesting. It's very fat. It's very bory. Um, and they're currently taking plenty of Christmas bookings, I would imagine. So get your order in ASAP because they'll be very busy. Christmas. Yeah, it will be, won't it? And, and yeah. Yeah, keep an eye on all the socials because they've got lots of events lined up, you know, cocktaily type stuff and various themes. So get yourself down there, get booked in because it never really disappoints. Let's be honest. Well, there you go. A mixed week for uh, the town this week. Uh, pretty positive. Uh, managed to see off Blythe Spartans in the replay, although it was a little bit squeaky bum towards the end. Uh, Liam, what do you make of that game? Uh, yeah, I was a bit... I left the game a bit annoyed, to be honest, just because the first half was really good. I'd said just before the game that I didn't really worry about us at home, and lo and behold, we put on a superb performance. Ollie Palmer with one of the cheekiest goals you'll see. And then the second half, we were just back to back to square one again. Uh, defensively, really poor, um, just letting them come at us. And as for when Wrexham fans cheered a Chester goal whilst Blythe were attacking, I have never been more angry in my entire life. So, glad we're through, glad we're in the hat. Oldham should be an interesting game, but yeah, I was a bit more annoyed leaving that game. And glad Chester lost in the end, presumably. Very. <laughs> well there we go uh, we saw it off though in the end and then the more important game which was a uh, top three clash against Boreham Wood uh, away Andy you were there um, I would say that's a, I think we all said last week we'd be happy with the point didn't we you just can't go to the top three and lose all game all, all three games you can't do that that's not what a, a team that's going to win the title would do so I was just delighted that we got a point from that um, it's a game you know it's a game of two halves you stereotypically it's we're terrible in the first half and I, I I don't know what he's telling the players is he telling the players to leave off the throttle a little bit and let the other team sort of you know work the, work themselves out or is he trying to tell them look you start the way you start at home which is get in and at them because if he's telling them that they're not listening if he's telling them to to step back a little bit I can sort of understand it uh, but it's a dangerous game to play that because in the second half he he sort of believes we're going to come on strong and we did we did we we were the much better we were a much better team in the second half but we're already one goal behind. Did we not play well before they scored? I mean, defensively we were a lot better yesterday, a lot better. Uh, so that's good. Um, but we were we weren't dominating. We weren't controlling the game in midfield. Again, a lot of a lot of our midfielders were, were were being bypassed. I mean, that's what that's just the way Boring would play, isn't it? They, you know, they're quite direct, they're strong, they're physical. Uh, but I wouldn't say that we were really dominating the game before they scored. It was no surprise when they scored. They, you know, Boring would themselves hadn't had fifteen chances or anything. It's just you know they had a they had a break. They cut they cut through us quite quite easily. Uh, but second half. We were a lot, lot better, and Mullin pulls out a little bit to to the right. I don't know if that was tactical or something that he picked up on. And um, you know, we started creating a lot of chances and a lot them a lot of problems. But you know, again, we're already a goal behind, so it's it's hard to 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 win a game if if you give the opposition that much in in the first half. Yeah, um, you know, obviously only only watching the highlights, um, it was a lovely little bit of play from Mullin to to create that goal. But I would say, you know, despite the concerns, we're still with three points off top. Um, got the three hardest away games out of the way. Um, Woking as well is a tough one, so not too unhappy with that. We've got a three home games coming up. But, but Tim, tell us about your Saturday afternoon because it, it turned out to be very interesting, didn't it? It did. Yeah, it did. I was supposed to be working. I was supposed to be doing some overtime. And uh, on the way to Blythe last week, I got a cheeky phone call to say, what are you doing next Saturday, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I'm, I'm working. And a few more conversations were had. And I was told that I was invited to a little shindig at the turf. I thought it's very nice. There's a specific reason why. And it turns out our esteemed co-chairman, Mr. McElhenney, was was attending with um, several members of his family. Um, for obvious reasons, it was kept on the down low. So that's why I couldn't say jack shit. Otherwise, I would have ruined it. And that's the last thing I wanted to do. So, so yeah, it, it, was, it was really good. Really good. 
uh, the plan, there's various plans about well, where we're going to be able to watch the game and so on and so forth, so forth. But I think there's various things where that didn't happen. But we were piping through Mark Griffiths' commentary. Everybody was in the pub. It was obviously an, an invited uh, in audience of people and um, turf regulars and so on and friends and so on and so on. And so, yeah, it was it was it was it was really good. His family came in first. His dad was there, and you could tell straight away because his dad looks like him. Um, his sister-in-law was there. His sister looks. His sister-in-law looks like him. His stepmom was there. His one of his brothers was there, who looks very much like him. Um, and it was just, it was just really, really nice. But we were all like wondering where's he gone because obviously he tipped up with them that morning into London. Um, it was frustrating. It was quite, quite funny. Everybody's like, he's come to Boreham Wood. And I was like, he's not. But I can't really tell people that. Can't really say it. <laughs> so we, we were very much on the proviso, you know, nothing goes out of social media until he at least leaves the pub, which was fair enough. Did you have a good um, chat with him? Yeah, yeah, several good chats with him. We, we were wondering but, but before he came in where he was. Like, Why isn't he here yet? His family here. Where's he gone? But obviously we, we now know today, and uh, by the time this goes out, a very belated happy birthday to his co-chairman, Mr. Reynolds. Um, we now know that he was spending the first half uh, doing a bit of hair and makeup and doing the the Ryan Reynolds birthday blimp at the football ground, which was a, a cracking little video that went out today on the socials. So, so yeah, he came in and it was just like you know there was no there was no like wild stand innovation. It was just like oh yeah, he's back in. We haven't seen him for a while, and there was just a lot of back slapping, a lot of handshaking, a lot of hugs, um, and then. He legged it to the toilet to take off his check shirt to put Wrexham shirt on, and as he was in the loo, he scored. So that was hilarious. He, kind of sort of, he didn't rush back out of the toilet. Yeah. He came back out. He's like, "We scored, like, yeah, we scored." It's great. I do like that. Um, you know, their visits are becoming uh, more and more low key as time goes on. I think it's the, it's it's the right way to do it, and. You know, it, it's a testament to sort of how semi-regularly they're coming over now, isn't it? I, I don't even know. I don't even know where he gets the energy from because obviously today, as in Sunday that we're recording this, um, he's gone up to Ponky Banks and got his Air Jordans very muddy and um, watching the women's team um, to, to victory. And he, I'm not, he literally, it was like you know when you give a dog a new toy and it doesn't let it doesn't leave it alone. It was a bit like that for everybody in the pub, but I mean that in a nice way. Everybody just wanted to speak to him and, and obviously ex- express their gratitude. And he literally had time for everybody, like the sit-down chat, a picture, signing autographs, whatever. Nothing was too much trouble. And yeah, he, uh, I don't know where he gets the the energy. And but yeah, just really, really good, down-to-earth, humble guy. Uh, he, he told me he said he said he said um, bizarrely he told me in the toilet I wasn't I sort of went in to spend the penny he was there I was like oh no this is weird <laughs> but the only two in there was like I'm really sorry uh, um, I'm not stalking I literally I didn't know you were in it was like, oh yeah it's fine don't worry about it and he said then didn't he have said, a look no no I didn't have a look he did make he did go on to make a crass um, and very funny joke with my dad and me present about five or ten minutes later which is quite amusing to put it mildly he, he said that me and ryan um just want to spend as much time as we can over it and i genuinely think he means that you know i genuinely think he does he, he, he's enjoying it um his extended family that he was with were all saying oh we can't wait to see a bit more of the area because you know obviously rob speaks highly of the place not just not just Wrexham in general but obviously his love for wales the welsh language yeah it was very surreal but Bizarrely, at the end of it, it didn't feel that surreal because he's just there, you know, as one of one of us, just loving it. Literally, absolutely loves it. Um, just, just one. Does anyone find it a little bit confusing that he didn't go to the game? Just the reason I say that is because you know he lands in Heathrow. He's more or less driving past the game. I mean, I love, I, I absolutely love a trip in the pub. But yeah, but we, we would have lost. We would have lost if he'd have gone to the game. Okay. That's I mean, why he, he, he has he, broken the he has broken the hoodoo on that. He, well, he, he has seen he has seen our win, hasn't he? But he, you know, he went to the toilet and we scored. So there is the. But I, I don't know. And I, obviously, the documentary crew were there. They were filming yeah, yesterday. Yeah. They were filming today, and obviously, that's part of it. But 
you know, it's kind of two birds, one stone. Ultimately, he's bringing his his family to meet people that he considers to be you know new, close friends as part of this big journey they're going on. So I don't think it was a, a huge surprise. I imagine outside looking, it probably was, but. You know, uh, plus Boreham would have asked us anyway, and they'd have probably tried to charge him a million quid to get in. I'm just playing devil's advocate here because obviously he went down to the women's game today. He's going to the, uh, you know, he's going to the, the game um, against Halifax on Tuesday. And also he's our chairman and he can do what the f- he wants, really. <laughs> if he wants to go to the pub rather than go to the game, I'm not going to, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't upset me in any way. He's done so much for this club in this area. Absolutely nothing yesterday was too much, like all of it. And he was crying when the Declan Swans played the song. Um, he couldn't, you know, he was like, there's no hiding place for that. All, all eyes were on him. And it's just like, yeah, this is kind of nice that people have made this song, song for me. But getting a, an a cappella version, minus a microphone and scooting the lads, um, not serenaded, but did it for the pub. And yeah, he had a few tears in his eyes. Well, that's lovely to hear and great that he had such a good welcome and that we managed to get a goal back for him, even if he was in the toilet. Um, and obviously Halifax up next. But before we go on to discuss that match, we've got a really great interview coming up for you. We're going to split this into two parts because it's just it's, it's not because we're spreading our workload. It's purely because it's so long because Dennis Smith had such a long and illustrious career. Very, very fondly thought of still. And so, yeah, here's the first part of our interview with Dennis Smith. Right. It would have taken a special man to follow Brian Flynn, but in October 2001, we got one. This battle-hardened defender played over 400 times for his beloved Stoke and was on the cusp of an England call when it was actually hard to get an England call-up. He went on to managerial success with York and Sunderland before stints at Bristol City and Oxford. When he came to Wrexham, his no-nonsense approach delighted us, as did his eye for a player. He's the last boss to get us promotion and won not only the LDB Vans, but two Welsh Premier Cups as well. Who knows what he could have achieved if the club wasn't in chaos behind the scenes, but his dignity dignity during that period was instrumental in keeping the club alive. For that, to many fans, he's simply known as Sir Dennis. So welcome to the pod, Dennis Smith. How are you? Absolutely brilliant, thanks. Fabulous. Nothing to talk about now after that. (laughs) Well, I'm sure you can put some meat on the bone of that. Dennis, before we sort of get into it, let's... I want to do sort of like not a true and false, but sort of stuff that I can remember or people have told me about you. And, you know, in, in the midst of time, things can get a bit exaggerated or a little bit or a little bit skewed. So you just tell me, are, are these facts that, that I think are true about you actually true? Right. The first one is, is your favorite food jugged hair? Yes, actually. Where did you get that one from? But yeah, don't get a lot of it now, unfortunately. But yes. Right. I'm going to guess jugged hair is some sort of stew, but you might have to, you might have to sort of educate yeah, it, us. Yeah, basically it is. It's, it's hair, but it's done as a stew. But it, yeah, I mean, it, it's a dark meat, a, a bit like a venison type meat. So it's a dark meat and uh, I, I enjoy venison and those sort of meats. So yeah. It's good. Um, next one. You were in the Guinness um, Book of Records for breaking the most bones playing football. Yeah, some of them were my own. I mean, yeah, I I don't know the number. I mean, five broken legs, arm, nose, a few times, cheekbone, uh, toes, fingers. I've got got a plate in my neck, a plate in my arm, a new hip, a big spike up through my ankle with bolts, and a new knee. So, yeah, um, the injuries are perhaps starting to catch up now. I mean, you sound like the Million Dollar Man with all the uh, all the different... All your heart's eyeballs, yeah. Yeah. Right, I've got another one for you. Was it true that Sir Stanley Matthews was once in awe of you? Actually, yes. I went to a function uh, when Stan was president at Stoke and I would be... 
and Sunderland manager then, and I came down and uh, turned up to the, this function and Stan was at the door and I got me two young sons with me and he's gone, it's not, it is, it's the Dennis Smith. So like <laughs> you can imagine me two lads, this is Sir Stanley Matthews saying that to the dad, made their day, it made me go, I think you're ready to be at now, Stan. Would you, you would but, have still kicked? Yeah, you... I got him. Stan was a, a, a superb human being. You would have still kicked him, he was though. Way ahead of his time, as far if I could get close enough, yes. <laughs> um, right, the last one in this little section is: Did you have to buy your wife a sports car for taking the Wrexham job? Yes, uh, uh, she wanted to retire. I didn't want to retire. Uh, we should have been going to Paris. And because I got the Rexham job, the Paris trip was off. So I said, look, what can I do for you? I yeah. said, so well, if, we, if we've got to go to Rexham, I need a sports car. So, yes, you got to make sports out of it. But we didn't go. We still haven't been to Paris. That was came up in conversation a couple of weeks ago. Well, we've just reminded her about that. Sorry about that, Dennis. That's yeah. going to set you back a Euro star. All right. What we want to do is before we get into your stint at, at Rex, we just want to talk a little bit about you, about your playing career, just a little bit, just to sort of set the scene. Because uh, as I sort of mentioned to you before, there's a lot, there's a lot of younger Wrexham fans who, of course, will have known your name, but won't know too much, too much more about your sort of playing career before Wrexham. So first off, and I think you've probably sort of answered the question by telling us how many bones you've broken. But what's how good were you as a player? Uh, I I was good enough to get into England squads. Uh, I got called into a couple with Alf Ramsey. And uh, when I had my testimonial, Alf Ramsey came and did a talk for me and said how many times he pulled me into squads and I was out through injuries. So, uh, yeah, I, I was on, on, on the fringes uh, of the England. I was... At one time, Lee's with Don Revy made a world record bid for a centre half for me, which was turned down. Uh, Man United, and this is true, I, I found it out and it's true, offered Dennis uh, George Best in exchange for me. But I think George what? might have been on his drinking spells then. So they, Man United tried to get me. And then after we played in Europe, we played against Ajax who were the best team and possibly in the world at that time. We uh, won, uh, drew 1-1 at our place and drew 0-0 over there. And Ajax came in for me and they, they tried to sign me. But yeah, the club were never going to let me go. We were a decent side then. Yeah, we had a couple of FA Cup semi-finals, yeah, League Cup win, uh, and you know, seventh in the league, fifth. I'm trying to remember. Yeah. But we were Stoke was a decent side. But and they, but there was a lot of cl- people interested in me going elsewhere, which would have given me a bigger profile. Like I actually was best around at that time, and uh, Man United, obviously Leeds, mm. the great Leeds side, uh, of the early seventies, who yeah. actually scored the winning goal against. So perhaps that was why. But <laughs> yeah, uh, my career, I had, as we said. I think it was about 23 broken bones or something. So those held me back. You know, you know, all my cartridges are removed. But I had a great career. I had you know, 500 games as a as a player. And getting 500 games as a player, it was 490 odd for Stoke. And I played half a season at York when I was manager. So, you know, over 500 game, league games. So you were a were a hard man, but who was the hardest player you faced? Uh, that that's interesting. There, there is a, a variety of, of of different people. Uh, Joe Royal was very difficult to play against. Big Joe played for England and Everton. He he was extremely a big lad, and he jumped back into you. So your timing had to be right and things like that. So he was he could like look after himself. Ah, Dennis Law at Man U. Yeah, he didn't mess with Dennis. He was sensible. You know, and, and then you know the, 
the obvious ones, the Bremier and the Giles of the Leeds era of that time, Graham Souness, you know, the, the lads who could look after themselves, and yeah, Tommy Smith. Yeah, there, there was always lads who uh, thought they they could sort you, yeah, but I managed to survive. <laughs> um, so, sort of, you sort of mentioned it there, sort of going into going over to York, where I think you were playing manager. Was that was that always something you wanted to do? I mean, I know a lot of players now sort of ready themselves for manage, management, sort of like mid twenties, really start doing. So in coaching badges, but that's was that something you were lo- you were looking at? Was it yeah, the same back then? I, I start I started doing coaching when I was in my early twenties. Uh, I actually while I was at school because the school teacher left, the sports teacher left, so I took the school team gone to the cup final, which we won. But so I took the school team, and when I was a pro at Stoke, I would take one of the local Sunday morning sides. And did well with them, yeah. And so, yeah, I was always into my coaching, always into media. Uh, I, I did some work for the one of the local papers. Used to write to report on the games that we'd had on the Sunday and those sort of things. So, it, it's always been an interest to me as far as I think media is brilliant. I think it, it, you know the way it's gone now is, is out of this world as far as somebody who. Who knows how to use it? And then, but I enjoyed my coaching from a young age, uh, and you know, I played and coached. You know, I doubt you get many uh, Premier League players now coaching a Sunday morning team, but I enjoyed it. No, I don't think you would. You would really. So, if we sort of fast forward a little bit to, um, <clears throat> I mean, obviously, you know, you, you made your name at York. You had a good spell at Sunderland. Um, yeah, you, you came off a long stint at Oxford, and then over in two thousand and one, Brian Flynn leaves Wrexham. Now, can you sort of take back how that sort of your move to to replace him came about? Was it was it a job you were inst- int- instantly interested in, or was it something that was put to you and you had to sort of go away and think about it? Way up going to Paris or Wrexham, and 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 ultimately yeah. choose Wrexham. If, if you look at me, I started at York when they were in in division with one York were in with uh, Wrexham were in this, which is three now. Um, and, uh, you know, I took them first club ever to get 100 points. So, you know, did well with York. Nobody believes that York were the first club ever to get 100 points. So that was good. I had five good years there. Beat Arsenal in the cup. Drew with Liverpool twice. So we were decent for a club this size. But then I went from there onto Sunderland. I had five years at Sunderland. Got two promotions. Took them up two leagues into what is now the Premier League. Uh, left there, went to Bristol City. A uh, few disagreements with the board there, but I did make them a lot of money by signing them. A lad called Andy Cole, a few people might know. So they made plenty of money on Coley. Uh, and that was good. I left there and went to Oxford for five years. And that was good fun. For five years, then we had financial meltdown. We're building a new stadium, and we were up in the championship. We we're fifth in the league, but we run out of money, so I had to start selling the players. And in the end, I had to sell myself to West Brom to get money to pay the players because I, I was actually at Oxford on the board as well. So I was the last person I could sell. So I sold myself to West Brom. Uh, was there year and a half didn't really go down too well then went back to Oxford with different owners I uh, was there a short period uh, no didn't really get on and then uh, was that it West Brom yeah and then basically I was retiring and yeah and then the Wrexham job came up and I said to my wife and People got to appreciate with football managers, everybody does it differently. I always move to the area where I'm working. I just want to take my family. I want to see my family every week and be with them. So I, so Kate, who was brilliant throughout, has, has gone, you know, she sells the house, moves the kids but into school, out of schools, into new schools, buys a new house, does it all up, and I turn up and my meal's on the table. 
And, you know, it was that partnership. And she said, well, I, she'd had enough. So I go, no, come on, let's go and have a look. Let's go and have a chat to her. So I went over and had a chat and they offered me the job. And she said, why do you want to come to Rexham? No, no. She was against it. Uh, but she now appreciates the five years, well, over five years, six years we were, we were living in Wrexham and we've still got friends who we, who we see regular over in Wrexham. And yeah, she enjoys the time there. She's got a sewing group she goes back to visiting as well. So yeah, the, there's always reasons. I looked, I, I spoke to Flinny, you know, Flinny had left. What's it like? Really, I mean, the training facilities, I'd just had a fight with West Brom about training facilities. Oxford was all right because we used the universities and all the universities or all the colleges have got fantastic training facilities. Nobody uses them. So that was good. But at, at Bristol and at West Brom, I had to have fights for decent training facilities. Came to Wrexham, wow. The best, they haven't got it anymore, unfortunately. Welsh FA have got it. But it, the best training facilities I've ever, ever had. And, um, you know, Flinny told me all about that and what a good board it was at that time and how they let him get on with his job. So, uh, Flinny was a good ambassador for the for the club back then, even when he'd left. Was that like an official handover then, Dennis, to sort of the man you were succeeding who'd been there for such a long time to get that? Not seal of approval, but to get like kind of an informal handover from him to give you an idea of what the club was all about, and the fact that you know, like you said, you were you were on the verge of retiring, and it's like kind of one last hurrah from a managerial point of view. So did did that make it easy having that chat with him to make your mind up? Well, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I'm going and saying what's it like. He's saying the board did as it was then was sound. They supported him. The training facilities were first class. You know, there, there was a lack of money, but, you know, there was enough to make things work. And, yes, uh, he said the crowds they get in. I mean, you've got to remember, this is a team which is in, you know, Division 3, and they've got 10,000 gates, you know, on good days. You know, it's bonkers. You know, you don't get that. You know, it, it's... And... It's it's an area which you we're the only only professional club in in the system in North Wales, so you've got mm. all that drawing capacity. You know, I mean, it, it was fabulous you know, to, to know. Yeah, you know, I mean, when I got there, I realised how Welsh it was. It was very Welsh. It took a bit of time for people to accept me. You know, and I used to get a bit, bit upset. They were all Welsh during the week, and then became Manx and, and Liverpoolian. <laughs> So I tried to get that over in the politest possible way in the media and, you know, that we are a club worth supporting. And they were a club worth supporting. But to do that, you had to get the right system going, the right players, and make it enjoyable for people to come along. Yeah. When you got there and you, and you, you, you got, got your feet under the desk and you looked at that squad that you inherited... What was your general assessment of it? Was it was it imbalanced? Was it where, where, where immediately did you look and think, right, where have I got to strengthen? Well, uh, centre half because our first game I watched was Dennis Florence was playing centre half. I looked at that and said, he will never ever play for me, no way <laughs> ever. You know, it was horrendous. A few games, and I'm thinking, where the hell have they got him from? Um, fair play to Dennis; he was brilliant. He came in, sat down with me, said, you know, why? What, what's the problems? And I went through his game and broke it down. And he said, well, nobody's ever told me about that. Nobody's taught me that. I mean, I, I was fortunate that was my position. And he was a brilliant pro. And he just got better and better and better, became a leader. You know, he, he proved me totally wrong, which I'm delighted with. I love people like that. You know, somebody who goes, yeah, but that's what you think. This is what I am. I'm going to prove you wrong. And he did. And I'm delighted he did. So, it was, um, was, was Jim Whitley your first signing? 
Jim, yeah, I got Jim from, uh, well, I knew him from Man City at that end. He's a good pro, again. You get a good pro. To do that j- dirty job in midfield, nobody thinks is important. You sit there, you break the thing up and you make easy passes and you stop balls going into the front players and you then win it and give it to the people who can play. And you've got your Darren Ferguson's and the such like who were there who could play. Taz was a great pass with the ball. Uh, I wouldn't put him in the defensive side. <laughs> so can you can you remember your first your first game? I think it was against QPR, managing Wrexham. How you kind of warmed yourself to the crowd and how that panned out? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we were, it was a battle. With QPR they were decent, obviously, and uh, ball came into the crowd, back out, and hours out, and we dug out, and I added it back into the crowd. And the crowd appreciate the fact that I was trying to kill time a little bit <laughs> to keep the score right. And uh, the only person in the crowd who wasn't happy about it was my wife, Kate, because I just had a plate put in my neck. So she wasn't <laughs> happy with the fact that I was ending the ball. <laughs> yeah, not, not exactly the best way to say this was a, This was a good <laughs> idea, Kate. This was a good no. idea. And you're heading the balls over the place. So, yeah, I mean, at, at that point, you sort of started to, to, to try and stamp your mark on the team, I guess. And there's certain, we can always pinpoint certain characters and certain players that, that will live long in the memory. And one of those has to be Hector Sam. I know we've already mentioned his, his, his countryman. Tell us a bit about Hector because, yeah. I mean, I, on, his day, on, his, on his day, like old him away and stuff like that, he was, he was unbelievable. And then other days, it looked like he'd never, ever played the game. So tell us a bit about Hector. Actor, you know, you come in and you try and make assessments and I made the one on Dennis and got proved wrong. Well, I made one on Actor and got proved wrong because I thought, what a great player I've got here. And I think, trying to remember, we played away <laughs> and he ran right. We won five, you know, and I'm thinking, wow, what? Yeah, he's won't be with us long. He'll go up the... Uh, getting Actor to train, getting any sort of discipline into him, was virtually an impossibility getting to work to any sort of system. And I'm quite good at letting people have a certain amount of freedom if they've got that ability. But uh, you never knew when he was going to turn up to training. You never knew when he was going to turn up on match days. And you know, there, there comes this, a stage where you know, the three Trinidadians, Dennis was brilliant. Carlos did a great job for me. I mean, he was a wide right player, but I had him playing right wing back because you got sure pace and power and could get, get going. So, yeah, those two were great. Actor, possibly the most talented of the three, didn't achieve that because of his laid back nature. He just thought, yeah, he suited being on a beach better than he did being on a football pitch. <laughs> a lot of people have said that. I think Carlos himself has said that. that if he'd applied himself, he, he would have yeah. arguably played of, of, a, of a similar level to what Carlos achieved, you know. So, but I, I but then that that was never. I'm guessing that was never an attitude thing. That was just his nature. That was his nature. Just the way he was. Yeah, he, he just couldn't see the problem with it. Yeah, but when you're trying to build a team and you're trying to get some sort of consistency, you know, there's got to you give freedom to players who can play. Yeah, you know, your trundles mm. of this world. Truns, you know, had got massive skill. Now, you couldn't expect him to defend. I'd expect him to fill little holes here and there, but you weren't going to get that out of him. But give him the ball, he could produce. Then you had to tell him how often he could do step overs and drag backs before he passed it. Because, you know, that can get a bit boring after a bit and get himself kicked. So you have to work with people like Truns. But Truns did a great job for me. Darren, again, seems to say, Brilliant. You know, we had you know, Brian Carey at the back. And you know, I came in as central, and Brian's an experienced centre-back. But he's going, oh, nobody's ever told me that before. Nobody's ever. Now, because uh, Flinney was a midfield player, he possibly, and Brian had been at Man United, he possibly think Brian would know these things. So you, you don't know. But I... I you know, I had a great time there. Enjoy, but I enjoy working with players. 
as far as the mental side and getting the right approach and the right attitude. Turn up on time. The, the, it's, it's simple. You get out of bed in the morning, you get there on time, you put in a shift and you don't give me any aggravation. And, it, and it's fairly straightforward. You know, I don't mind, you know, but people, if you're a minute late, you're fine. No ifs, no buts. That fine goes into the players' pool. It doesn't go to me or the club. It goes into the players' pool for the Christmas party. But you're fine. Minute late is, you know, it's no use saying, ah, but I was standing outside the door. And no, you've got to be where I say what what time. So we didn't have it. Yeah, certain players at first had problems with that. And then you just, it, there's got to be a structure within the within uh, and discipline and but it's got to be fair discipline do you so feel and we're, we're jumping a little bit now and i'm sure the lads will address this more in more depth later on but did you feel at any point during that first season in charge that is this kind of like the impossible job to save the club from relegation we know what happened and we know the things that happened that that really put hurdles in a way but did you did you ever think I'm really swimming against the tide with this one here. And it's a bigger job than perhaps I first thought. No, I, I mean, I, I looked at what, what it had got. I, I always look at the, the area. And, and I'm looking at the area and where the people involved with the club, did they want it to be part of their community? And the answer was yes. So you get that feel. And I got that from local politicians and you know, the local council. You... I got support wherever I asked for it, as much as the people could give. So I, I always thought that that football club should do well. And now, hopefully, we've got somebody, people in who will push it on. And it, it, the championship is not a dream. The championship is very possible for Wrexham Football Club. Before I pass back to Andy, um, I'm going to chuck in a slight curveball question, just because we've kind of got this undercurrent of, you being a proper hard player, everybody knows it. Peak Darren Ferguson versus Peak Dennis Smith. Who wins that battle on and off the pitch? Uh, Daz doesn't win any. <laughs> Straight down the line. I like that. He didn't win any. Fine. I'm not uh, going to argue with you. No. No ifs, no buts. Daz knew where he stood. <laughs> when I was manager and as a player... It'd, it'd be sensible to play deep and away from me. <laughs> he wasn't that quick. He couldn't even outpace you, could he, Dan? Uh, my pace wasn't bad until... Um, they're not too clever now with my knees, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, I've already sort of said it at the top, but you're the last manager to to get us promoted. Now, we've we've had a few of the lads on. You know, we've had Morel, we've had Trans, um, and I always ask them, did you know like the first day of pre-season, that we, we've got a chance here. And I'm going to ask you the same thing. Did you look at that squad and, you know, you managed to change it a little bit back in the last season, and but you managed to keep most of it together. You were dropping down a league. Did you, you brought Paul Edwards in. Did you sort of think, right, we've, we've got a chance here? Yeah, there was enough talent within the club. You know, uh, Flinney had left me enough good players for us to, to go and do things. And I'm looking and going, if I can get goals, Andy Morell and Tuns, yeah. So you've got those, you've got goals, and you've got pace wide with the two Edwardses. Then you've got a chance. You've got Darren who can pick a pass. What I needed was a defensive midfield player and sort the defence out. The defence was a bit of a mess. And I thought if we could tighten up, make things, we've got enough to score goals to, to get promotion. You know, it, you you start with making yourselves hard to beat. I like the teams to be attractive to watch, but the first thing you do, if you don't let a goal in, you don't get beat. So you start from keeping it tight at the back, so you improve the back, your goalkeeper, two centre-backs, your full-backs, and then you start building. But we've got enough going forward to give me belief, yeah. So... A lot, a lot has been said about the three-five-two formation, which was a you know we we had 
probably 12 years of 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 Brian's flat back four, three in midfield, one winger, two up front. And that's that's just how we played. And so there was a sort of identity there. And then when you came in, you changed it. Now, was 3-5-2 a preferred formation of yours? Or did you look at the players that you had and thought it's more of a necessity that this will yeah. play to our strengths? That, that I'm trying to remember. That's possibly the first time I'd used it. Yeah, right. <laughs> because you look at the players you've got. Uh, players make systems. You look at the players you've got, what suits them best? That suits these players best. That's the system you play. Uh, you don't go in with a system in your head that you've, you've got to do. Uh, basically, uh, my preferred system would be four, four at the back with very attacking fullbacks, two sitting midfield players, uh, a striker who... who who drops it into the holes, one who lives on the shoulder and, and two quick wingers. So basically it'd be more of a, a fluid 4-2. Four, four that, yeah. um, that would be my preferred if you ask me how I would play if I'd got all the players I wanted. Hmm. But I look at the players and go, right, that's what we've got, that's what we can do. And that's the job of a manager. Yeah. Three five two is quite in vogue for us at the moment because obviously Phil <laughs> yeah. Parkinson plays the. Uh, I, I don't know if you managed to I, see many games. Or... I, I, I wish they tighten up a little bit. They're getting yeah. me a bit bit worried with the amount of goals they're letting in. Hmm. I mean, yeah. What does make a great three five two is it? Is, you know, if, if you watch it on BT Sport, do you see how we play and think oh, a little tweak here and there might 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 help us? Well, I've been to see a couple of games and you know, uh, what was it six five. Dover. You were that, oh, were you that game? Wow. I was at that one, and the last one was six, three, was it? About three weeks ago. Yeah. What one was that? So We had seven, yeah, five on Saturday, and I had kittens. Yeah, yeah, seven, five, I know. And I'm looking and going, we've got those, two, they've got those two strikers. They've got goals, and they've got, now, you, they've got to look how they can, Tighten up, you know, uh, and it's not my job to tell Phil how to do his job. You know, Phil. Phil's a good manager. You know, uh, I know him, and I know Steve Parkin from when he was at Stoke. So I know the setup. They they know their jobs. They will be looking at that and saying, "Great, the amount you're scoring, the goals that are going in is not acceptable," and they they will be looking at how they can put that right. I'm sure. Going back to, I mean, you've, you've mentioned the, the strikers at Wrexham got now, Mullin and, and Palmer. Now, you had two, an iconic partnership as well. But what what did you do to Andy Morell that season? Because he was on absolutely on fire. Now, he talks he talks a lot about how you really helped him, how you dropped him at certain, certain parts of the season, but then always had a word of him about why you did it. And he always said that your management was great for him and he really responded to, to it. But had had anything changed again in that pre-season? Did he come back fitter? Did he, did he you know, did he, was it a confidence thing? He, he was always fit. I mean, Andy could run for fun. Yeah, it was not, yeah. a, but it's knowing where to run and how to run and where to cause problems. And he would run, but he would be going into wide areas and things. And you're going, what are you doing over there? You don't score goals from left or right wing. You do occasionally, as but the job is down the middle. So the way I'd set it up, his job was to get into the box, into the six-yard box. The lads, he was good in the air, Andy. You get the two wingers, you get the ball over. He got a slight problem with Paul uh, Edwards because he couldn't get the ball up. So you had to use your brain. You attack the near post when Paul had got it and the far post when Carlos had got it because they crossed the ball differently. So... I'd encourage him to work within that penalty area, make runs. Yeah, if Carlos has got to get, go there, check and get around the back and, and vice versa, check back and then go for the near post for the other side. And you just encourage him to get in the box. He, his, his attitude was first class. His work rate was first class. Truns wasn't an out and out striker. It just you give Truns more of a free license. Andy had started saying, "I want you there," and Truns, you go and play in holes off defenders. They don't like it, and in between the defence and the midfield, 
So I gave him that license. So it's it's a matter of using the players you've got and Lukey then and going, yeah, that's what I want. I don't want you out there. I don't want you out there. I want you there doing the job. And and Chuns, yeah, as long as he didn't do too many step overs, he, he was it was it was good. Yeah, we got a few quiet words in his ear about when he started doing his tricks too often. But uh, yes, it, the lad was an handful because he didn't play as an out and out striker. Yeah, I, I was going to say, did you give him a bollock? And it sounds like you did, but you just put it in a nicer, nicer way. Um, sometimes seasons like that can can change on 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 an incident or or a moment. Now I can remember going away to Scunthorpe first match of the season. Um, Wayne Phillips was was playing right wing back. Now Wayne unfortunately broke his leg, and that meant that Carlos had the berth for 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 the rest of the season. Do you would it be more of a battle to Cal, for Carlos to get into that side without Wayne's injury? Were you sort of more set on Wayne's sort of industry in in that role? No, I would I would always look at players' ability, and Carlos had got ability, so you would then be looking. Do I need to play this system when I got if I'd got a left back, yeah, which I hadn't at the time? Yeah, again, I'm forever looking at what players are available, and then deciding what makes the best system. So, uh, yeah, Wayne was unfortunate. It opens up an opportunity. Carlos takes that opportunity and then went on to do great things, which I'm mm-hmm. delighted with. I didn't know how to deal with the Trinidadians when I first got there because I I didn't know them because yeah they got no record over over in Britain playing so I'm looking and going well, I've got three lads from Trinidad seem nice kids well seem nice kids but can they play so it takes time to to get a feel of what the what they are and, and vice versa they'll be looking at me and going who is this fella you know we like Flinny this fellow's telling us I've got to do this or do that. So, again, it's different. Hmm. I mean, something else that uh, uh, Andy Morell mentions quite a lot from this season was, you know, even though it's back in 2002, 2003, you brought in a sports scientist, which I don't think many clubs in, in League One would have at that, at, at, that, at that time. Was that, sorry, League Two even, would have at that time was that was that something that you'd always sort of work with, or was it were you just looking at sort of new techniques and thinking this can get an edge? No, I, I'd had problems. Uh, I'd come across it obviously. I'm back to Oxford again. Oxford, mm. I used the sports scientists at the university, so I, I saw what they could achieve through little little tweaks here and there. And, you know, try this, try that. So I. The Oxford University sports scientists I used with my Oxford team. So then I went to West Brom. Uh, I had a major fallout at West Brom because I wanted a sports scientist and they were thinking a bit like a lot of other people. That they, Why? You know, who's to say? And I had, to, had them putting lunches on. And, and OK, for, for different... Yes, I... I I thought spoil they they give an edge. Every every club's got them now anyway. So you know, I was proved to be right. But I'd seen it in action with the rowing team and things like that at Oxford. So you pick bits up from different areas. And uh yes, I, I brought a sports scientist in just to say, you know, eat this, eat that, rest here, rest there. Um it's basic stuff, but it it, it hmm. it's useful and especially yeah. You know, with players who've not been used to, you have to be careful how you use it. You know, yeah, to, yeah, because some need it and some don't need it. Some mm-hmm. are great pros anyway. Yeah. So, sports scientists. I know you had a psychologist in as well. Um, but I think, I mean, for me, the major catalyst of what changed that season was bringing in a player called Scott Green. Now, I think you, you know, you'd gone on a pretty good run after Christmas but I think you know there was a few draws and then Scott came in and we never really looked back I think it was like eight wins in a in a row after that I mean how did that come about and what sort of difference did he make with Scott it's artists I'm trying to remember exactly where he came in and 
and I, and how he changed it. But I I obviously would be looking, going, yeah, I need I need somebody who's available. And fortunately, by the time I got to Wrexham, I've been in the game a long time. So I've got contacts at different clubs all over. And they go, well, you want to have a look at this lad? You want to have a look at that lad? Yeah, you should have a look at him. And uh, it, it would have been one of those contacts which, which gone, try that. Mm, yeah. I mean, yeah, he, he just give that extra little bit of steel, I think, and, and now we needed in midfield. I mean, that's one that worked. I mean, and another thing, and I know we've had like Andy Morell and Lee Trundle on, and both of those players left at the end of the season. I think, I don't know what was going on with Andy, but I think Lee Trundle certainly want, wanted a deal earlier in the season. Um, was that something that you, you were trying to get over the line? Or, you know, was, yeah. was it... Was, was it if you've got your best players, you want them tied up if you can. Yeah. Uh, it, when they're having the type of seasons they were having and the publicity they were getting, it becomes more and more difficult. You know, you improve them and you make them better, but it g- gives you then another problem. You know, you've got a mm. player who's wanted or, or, you know, can see different things. And uh, getting extra deals for people was not easy at that time. They want a lot of money about the crowd. Crowds were coming back and the money was starting to come in, but there were still problems behind the scenes financially. So yeah. doing deals, I'm trying to remember now what the situation was with Trunge, but uh, yeah, you would you would keep Lee Trunge if you could. There's no ifs yeah. or buts. Yeah, so yeah. I would have definitely tried to keep him and Andy, you know, those two... If you've got goal scorers, you can make the rest work. Yeah, I think I think no one can begrudge in the moods that they had. I think obviously Andy went on to higher up. I think for Trundle it was a bit more problematic because he went to Swansea. They weren't. I think they were <laughs> the league below us. Another Welsh club. We're very parochial. We don't we don't like uh, feeding our rivals. Um, but you I know, agree with that. Yeah. I, it, we do sort of always think, you know, we did, when we came up in the first season in, in League One, we did we did we did well, but we always sort of wonder how how well could we have done with 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 Lee Trundle and and Morel up front. You know, you're always wondering what if, but there would have been things going on behind the scenes that I can't remember, and you know, there would have been reasons. I won't I wouldn't have let Lee Trundle go without a battle because I thought it was important to what we were doing. I mean, uh, the, the stupidity, you know, we got Darren. Darren was on a good contract. Darren was on the best contract, uh, better than me. You know, so, uh, which was through whatever Flynn had done. And, you know, Darren was the first-class pro. So you just go, okay, get on with it. But I can only tweak. If people get to hear one of the players are on and they want more and you haven't got the money, then you've got a problem. Just moving on to the um, next season now, Dennis, you obviously had a bit of a a revamp on your hands. How confident do you feel about that with the um, resources you had at your disposal? Uh, No idea, to be perfectly honest. I'm trying to remember. Um, you know, it, basically, you look at what you've got, what you can do, who, where can you improve, who, who can you talk to. I, since I've been in the game a long time, so I've got a lot of contacts. So you're forever going, have you got a young kid coming through? Have you got anybody who's, who's going to, who needs a, a few years lower down playing? My brain's gone, my goalkeeper, I've got from Stoke. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, Ben Foster, yeah. Ben Foster, yeah. I mean, Ben, I got Still Ben. Still a legend. From, yeah. He's done great. And, and Ben wanted to come the following year. But I've gone, don't think you, think you might be going somewhere else, pal, because I knew what was happening with Man U at that time. Yeah. I, I tried wherever I could to borrow players from wherever I could um, and get things going. But the finances have gone. I'm trying to remember where, what year we're on now. Whether who's in charge. 
We're on three and four. Uh, we just come up. I think we've lost Morel and Trundle. We replaced them with Llewellyn and, and Armstrong. And I think the rest of the team more or less, more or less stayed the same. But so, I think the, the key thing I mean, was, Chris, was Chris the changes up front. Season. Chris got himself into the Welsh squad, didn't he? Mm. And yeah, scored a lot of goals that season. There's some absolutely great games during that season. I think it's probably about my only ever, my second ever away game was Sheffield Wednesday away when we beat them three uh, two at their place. Oh. About twenty five thousand fans there. What what was that game like for you? Did that stand out for you? It was because we'd be in administration then, weren't we? I'm just trying to remember. Yeah, and uh, Darren and they were taking the mick out of them. To be honest, at the end, I don't know if you remember. I'm going absolutely mental. We're winning 5-2. And Daz and must have been Chris Llewellyn. I'm trying to remember who else. They were playing kickball in the in the middle of the park. And uh, oh, I wasn't best pleased with them after. It still brings a smile to my face just to this day, thinking about that game. And I think there was a quite a memorable game against Tranmere away as well. Sean... Holmes picks up the ball <laughs> quite far out and just thumps it into the into the top corner. Well, if you encourage people to do things, it's amazing what they come up with. Yeah, we're back to the same sort of thing. What I worked on with the players was believing in themselves. Yeah, you're here. You're a professional footballer for a reason. You don't get to become a professional footballer unless you can play. Now, there must have been some reason why, if, if it wasn't me, somebody else give you a contract. Let's find out what that something was. Can we get it out of you? Do you want to go and enjoy? It's far more enjoyable coming into work when you're winning. And, you know, everybody's got a smile on their face. So that's what you try to get. Dennis, can we talk about the tale of two Spaniards? Now, um, I don't know if you know who I'm going to say here. One was brilliant for us. One was less so. So if we take the take the, the legendary one first in Juan Ugarte, when did you sort of first get get wind of him? And did you see it on the training pitch or did he just come alive in matches? No, with, with one, he'd come over and uh, had a trial at Liverpool. And, wow. Yeah, yeah that's... Uh, and I'd heard about it, and I'm trying to remember who was at Liverpool. Said, "Look, we've got this lad. Do you want to have a look at him? Because yeah, we are going to take him." And I said, "Well, you can come along and have a look." And I thought, "Yeah, he's got something." And then you start working with him, and all I did was give him confidence to to say, "Look, again, the thing with morale, work within that box, go in and score goals." I mean, it's it's like the final. He scores, yeah. A, a goal and on the side they're sh- shouting get him off <laughs> you know get us up get a defender on now I'm going leave him he can score and one had got a there's certain people in life who are born with a knack of scoring goals and one you got he was one of them he could score goals for fun but you had to give him the encouragement and tell basically say look your job is within the that area there you go in there and we it's up to us to get the ball to you if we don't get the ball to you it's not your fault if it comes to you i expect you to put it in the net and he did it's as basic as that everybody thinks it's it's difficult but it isn't you put people in the right positions to do the job yeah i mean mean, one did make goal scoring look look easy um the other spaniard i'm going to mention didn't really make goalkeeping look easy do you oh. remember a fellow called oh. Xavi yeah. Valero? I do. He came, um, I, again, yeah. from Liverpool. He'd been at Liverpool. And I'm thinking, well, if he's been at Liverpool, and um, where were we away? Uh, Peterborough, was it? Chesterfield, I think. Chester- oh, Chesterfield, you're right. Uh, and at half-time, I pulled the two centrals, Brian and Dennis, and gone, Dem, Brian. This is they're walking off. I'm stopping them going into the dressing room. I said, "Yeah, we've got a problem here. <laughs> what do you think? We've got a six-year-old kid on the bench. I'm trying to remember his name. It's but he's Michael only, Jones, carrots. But, yeah, uh, I said, "You've got, we've got the sixty-year-old. Would you prefer him behind you or?" Uh, and they said, "Bring the kid on." So we changed him at half time. Fair play to, 
to 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 the lad. He, he took it really well. He understood. Yeah, he, he knew his confidence. It just shot. Yeah, I mean, he was just yeah horrendous. I think that's the only word for it. Um, uh, but he must have somewhere along the line in, in his career to get a trial at Liverpool. He must yeah. have had something. Yeah, and also, I mean, he's a top-level goalkeeping coach now. I mean, he follows Benitez around wherever. I mean, when I first sort of got wind of that, I thought, I'll be honest, Ben, I thought, bloody hell, how's how's this happened? (laughs) You just say, do the opposite of me and you'll be a good keeper. But (laughs) Well, yeah, and, you know, in training, you you saw what he was capable of doing. Yeah, there, there was certain aspects, you go, yeah. But, you know, he's, he was obviously shot. Yeah, it, yeah possibly that's the worst goalkeeping performance I've ever seen from a goalkeeper. From anybody. I mean, I, I used to stand, if, if Gordon Banks got injured, I, I was the sub-keeper at Stoke. And uh, I went and actually haven't no way played in goal. Joe Royal scored. But I've got a good po- photograph. I can show you. There you go. That's me beating Joe Royal in the air. Xavi Valero wouldn't have beaten Joe Royal to a corner, Dennis, <laughs> no. I'll be honest. But when I Even see now. Joe, I said, I've got a great photograph of me beating you in the air. Don't tell him I was punching it. <laughs> So that was Dennis Smith, uh, part one. I mean, I, I just I just like the contrast of Dennis coming in and immediately sort of getting the fans on his side by heading that ball out against QPR. And it's probably something that Phil Parkinson didn't do or didn't really probably needed to. But I just sort of feel that Dennis was quite good at tuning in to the fans and what they wanted and what made, what made you know, what was important for them. And, you know, I think when you listen to the second part about about how he really helped the club when, you know, there was a good chance that we could go out of business. I think you'll have even more respect for the, for the fella than you, than you did before. Yeah, definitely. Top guy was Dennis. That was a, yeah, really good interview. Nice bloke, all round legend, hard as nails. Just a, just a top guy, wasn't he? End of story. What more can be said? He, he buys his wife a Mercedes um, because he couldn't take him to Paris. So, you know, what more do you want? I don't want Paris. No one likes France. Is France the worst holiday ever? Discuss. Really? France? What's wrong with France? France is fantastic. No, it's not. I think I'm with Andy on this one. Where have you been? Oh, obviously I went to Limoges and, you know, uh, for the year of 2016 and that was pretty good. But usually a trip to France... Nah, I'm, I'm not having it. I'm not having it. It's just. Oh, I, I would like to put my opposition to this because France is is one of my favourite places to go. If you hate France, please uh, please email in. If you don't hate <laughs> France, it's not bother. I'm Team Gilpin. Out, I you're going to bust out the Gilpin. Why don't you just go marry France then? <laughs> right. Anyway, Andy, what are we doing now? Uh, we're going to do predictions, mate. So we've got two games. We've got Halifax and Maidenhead, both at home. Um interesting we could i mean i I can't see notts county winning three in a row uh so i've got i've got i've got a feeling out of these next three games we could be we could be top of the league what do you think reese you're the most pessimistic among us i've said all along to when when people say how you know a lot of people because of the documentary really interested in how wrexham are getting on this year and they were like oh i've seen their second or they're nearly top or whatever and I and I always say I don't actually want to be top until after Christmas. Personally, I keep the target <laughs> off our backs as long as possible. Keep all the attention on Notts County, and then do exactly what you want to do. Is Stockport to be fair to them? Apart from their obviously little meltdown sort of in the in the month before the end of last season, they had it right. You want to start. You want to start your run in January and build slowly, and then you want to get ahead and that's what I'm hoping that we'll do. So I don't think seven points out of the next three would be disastrous at all. Um, however, I do think Halifax and Maidenhead, we should really be winning those. So I am going to go for two wins. Dare I say it as one. they're both home. I'm going to say Halifax um, three, one, and I'm going to say Maidenhead five, two. Hold on a second. Oh, wow. We got Ultringham before Maidenhead. <laughs> Have we? <laughs> yep. Tuesday right. Tuesday is Halifax and Saturday is 
Altrincham. Right, Altrincham. Um, not as high scoring then. I'm going to say 3 1 against Altrincham. My hatred of France made me uh, blind to the picture list. <laughs> so, um, um, I'm going to go. I think we'll see off Halifax pretty easily. I think we'll score early, and I think that'll be 4 1. And Altrincham, it's going to be a lot tighter. It's going to be a lot nervier. But I can see us sneaking that 2 1, but it'll be a scare along the way. Liam? Uh, I'm going to go for just because I want us to get a clean sheet. So I'm going to will it on. We're going to beat them 2 0, quite comfortable 2 0. Um, but Altrincham, that, that game against Torquay at the weekend. They seem to like crazy games. I think we're going to beat them 4-2, but it's going to be another one of those where you've got a squeaky ass. I think we'll win 3-1, and I think we'll win 3-1. So overall, I'm going for back-to-back 3-1s. Okay, great. No clean sheets? No clean sheets, because um, Mark Howard doesn't do clean sheets. He's like a lumbering, cumbersome, big tree that's being cut down, and he can't get down to those low shots. So welcome back, Rob Lainton, to the uh, reserves on Tuesday. Get back in the team ASAP, please. Well, I think I, I, I think we're being I think we're being a bit harsh on Howard. Personally. We're not. I, I I was all for my Howard, but there's there's a pattern, and the pattern is he's too slow getting down to low shots. That's the pattern. Hmm. That, I, I I there was the, there was the one a couple of weeks back. Who was that against? Uh, there's one against Barnet. I accept against, that. I don't against think, Oldham. I, yeah, fair. The, the Blythe, one no, North the Oldham country. one was a great strike. To be fair, oh, he was miles out. Mm. And it was fun, The Blythe one, I, uh, I, I don't, I'm not having because I think that was just a, that was a good strike. No, I mean, I, mean, I put a tweet out uh, when I first saw it and said keepers rooted to his to the spot. And actually, when I saw it again about 30 seconds later, I think he's he, one of his defenders has to clear that. I don't think that's Howard's fault at all. I get where Tim is coming from, though. Um, I do sort of feel that Leighton is still our number one, and I'd like him in the team as soon as possible. But it's a big call to take Mark Howard out and put Rob Layton in. It's an easy call now because he, he was great at Notts County, Mark Howard, but that's like, you know, one game. Well, the other way, the other way of looking at it is Layton will be injured, bless him, within three games anyway. So Howard will have to come back in. So use Layton <laughs> while he's fit. Anyway, uh, on that note, let's uh, recap next week with part two of the Dennis Smith interview. But as ever, thank you very much for listening and goodbye. Bye bye, everyone. Bye.